When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to review the offense from that Week 18 slop fest against the Steelers, the 17-10 to 10 loss at M&T Bank Stadium. Truly one of the most uncomfortable days to be at the stadium I've ever been. Here to do it with me is Gabe Ferguson. Gabe, how are you doing? Hey, Ken. Uh, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm, I can't say I'm jealous of anybody who was at the game this past week. It was not... Uh, environment that seemed like it was very much fun to be in cold wet not not, not my favorite thing I'll, i'd rather be here in southern california where it's nice and warm yeah there you go just to hold that over our heads but it, it is a uh, it is something where it's it's better to be in a game that's 10 degrees than it is 35 and rainy 35 and rainy is the most miserable possible combination of effects that i'm aware of uh, you know, large hail that might be worse. You know, I don't think they'd be playing football necessarily in that, but but uh, that could be worse. But anyway, all complaints aside, like an exhibition game in a lot of ways, uh, including some of the roster choices and playtime decisions. And and that's what I really wanted to talk to you about first. Is were you happy with what was generally done with the roster and what was generally done with playing time in this game? So I would have done it a little bit differently. Um, I, I think the starters were, especially the important starters, mm-hmm. were playing a little bit too much. Um, guys like Isaiah Likely, uh, Justice Hill, Gus Edwards, the two tackles, Moses and Stanley. Mm-hmm. I probably would have seen maybe one or two drives, and, and that would have been it for me. Um, too valuable, too important to be playing meaningful snaps in this game. Completely agree. By the way, all four of those would be very significant problems for me. I thought that the both running backs were overutilized. You have Gordon. You want to penalize him for being a fumbler? We'll penalize him by putting him out there for more snaps in a game like yeah. this. You know, penalize him by having Dalvin Cook be your third running back for the playoffs, which honestly, I think we may have seen the last of Gordon after that fumble. Yeah, I I think that you know there's there's an opportunity to check out. A practice squad player you know have somebody else who's, who's available in that role um i mean they brought up uh you know players from the practice squad that barely played uh so um that's that's not a decision you know you want to take advantage of that as much as possible yeah completely agree now they, they they did bring up adams and he ended up playing a good amount of the game in the second half um the guy who didn't didn't play much at all uh was ben mason played one snap and i don't know what the idea was there, the team was incredibly short in the secondary, and it wasn't just 
those guys, you know, Brandon Stevens played the whole game on the outside. Rocky Yassin is so far down the depth chart at this point. I guess it doesn't matter that he plays the, the, the whole game, but it does matter that Arthur Mollette, who's been the slot corner they can, they can turn to, plays the whole game. And you have Pepe Williams. Basically, Pepe got, you know, for the first time activated. I don't know why he's not out there playing some snaps. Yeah, I was I was a little surprised at how much effort there seemed to be in actually winning this game. You know, you, you look around the league at some of the games where teams had nothing to play for, and there didn't seem to be that much of an attempt to actually win. Um, now, I, I understand, you know, this is a rivalry game. It's the Steelers. You don't want to go 0-2 versus the Steelers. You have a chance to knock them out of, of playoff contention. You've done in the past, you know, 2019, they had backups in and, and they did just that. So I think there's a little bit of pride at stake here, if I'm not if I'm being completely honest. Um, and I think it was a little bit of a miscalculation. You know, the one thing I can understand doing is is the kind of the game script where they're drawing the ball a lot. Like you want to take as many seconds and minutes off the clock as possible, play as few snaps as possible. Every snap you play, you're risking more injury. So mm-hmm. I think that that part of it is okay. I don't care that they weren't, you know, pushing the ball downfield. That, that doesn't matter. But I think putting some of these players out there for extended snaps, especially in a bad weather environment, that's where I'm kind of like shaking my head. Like this could have gone really badly very easily. Um, if, if one player steps wrongly or somebody trips over somebody's leg and falls on a, on a leg, it's, it can go easily the wrong way. So easily. As, as it did for the Steelers. With TJ Watt, you know, I mean, they they obviously lost a big player. You know, we don't know the status of all the Ravens injuries. And one that's not being talked about is uh, Owe. Adafi yeah. Owe got up holding his shin. I don't know if it's calf or shin or what it might be or ankle, you know, walk, you know, apparently got off the field under his own power and whatnot. But he left after about, I think it was the second drive of the game during that. He was a guy who would have played some snaps, certainly with, with Clowney and Van Noy playing a lot of snaps in this game. Um, it's just it it very frustrating that a player like that who's so critical to the Ravens pass rush is is uh is out there for extended time. But you know, it, it, I do understand keeping the offensive line together and I do understand keeping the defensive line together because defensive line they all had to play. Um they they have five guys, they activate the same got five guys pretty much every game of the year. Um they've they, I think they might have had some, you know, not being able to finish the game kind of injuries during the year. But I think those guys, as far as I know, there there wasn't another player who took a I can confirm that for you right now here, but I don't believe there's another player who took a who took a snap on the defensive line for the Ravens all season other than the big five. No, in fact, there were not. Jones Matabike, Pierce, Pierce Urban Washington have logged every single in, uh, IDL snap the entire year for this Ravens team. Yeah, that's um that is a bit of a change, you know, it, it's good that they've been healthy. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's definitely a positive thing. And going into in the, the playoffs, nothing on the entry report other than I think urban had a concussion, uh, but it seems like he was probably going to be okay with the, with a week off. Um, urban had a concussion in this game. I, I didn't I, hear that. I saw that. Um, hmm. I might be wrong. Um, I, I think I saw that, but yeah, nothing's nothing too serious. I, I don't think. Um, and that's, that's, that's really impressive, especially considering, you know, some of the, bangs and nicks that the Ravens have had, especially um, in this position in years past. It's it's going to help them a lot to have that continuity um, in the postseason for sure. 
So Urban played the third to last defensive snap of the game. So this is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. He, he missed the last one on the of, on the last real drive they had, and then I don't know if he's out there for the kneel down because I, I automatically leave that column blank since that play doesn't count. But the, but the play before the, the the at the end of the last drive, Urban did miss that snap. But I you know I just I didn't see him go off for any reason. But it doesn't mean he didn't. I, I you know I certainly I certainly could have missed it. Of course, Geno Stone got hurt. Um, which is never a good thing. Um, when, when and with safety depth being what it was, but uh, it really bothered me that you know you bring up Adams and it still seemed like the one of the places where they were really short in terms of healthy bodies was at safety, where yeah. they started the game with only three guys, and you had Marcus Williams out there basically the whole game. So uh, you know, and he's certainly not healthy. Yeah, I mean, Marcus Williams was one of the immediate players I saw out there, and I think he had that. Was it the First drive, second drive, we had that almost interception. Yep. Um, and and I was like, why is Marcus Williams in the game? <laughs> that was my thought. Not why did you not catch the ball? Why is he playing? Like he's somebody who hasn't <laughs> been healthy all season. Um, he's the last person, you know, aside from some of the other names, you know, Ryan Stanley, Morgan Moses, they've been banged up all season. They've been playing through injuries or playing through, you know, he's playing hurt, you could say. Um that I that was uh confusing to me. Um yeah, Mar- so I Marcus oh, Williams, just to, just to be clear, he played every single snap, all 62 snaps, and wow. had nine tackles in the game. <laughs> that's well, that's something. Um, abuse, yeah. Uh, Brent Urban was evaluated for concussion. Um, apparently, he was just a stinger. That's, okay, so good to hear. Yeah. yeah, very good to hear. Lots of reasons it's good to hear, but but uh, good to hear it's not going to impact him for the playoffs. Uh, hopeful to hear that it won't impact him long term in his life in terms of that. But. Uh, um, Let's talk about some other things here. Uh, kind of a great Devoa year, yeah. painted by this Week 18 game, which is a little bit of shame. But you know, honestly, rest your starters and don't care about the about the um, um, the parsley, the garnish on this uh, <laughs> this season. It's uh, we, we it's the steak and potatoes that's going to matter, and the Ravens really need to convert the Super Bowl opportunity while it's here. Yeah, yeah it's um, it's re- interesting because you know 2019. The Ravens' offense was kind of like the DVOA darling. You know, mm-hmm. they were setting kind of records in efficiency, um, run efficiency in particular, um, and how well they were playing. Um, this year is a better team overall, um, part, largely, I guess, because of the defensive side of the ball. It is playing better this year, significantly more so than it did in 2019. Um, even with the kind of Week 18 stinker, they still finished, I think, fifth best in tracking by by that statistic over an overall team um this is in, in the 40 years period um I, I believe so i believe it goes back yeah. to like 1986 or, or something like that um so that that's you know mm-hmm. it's a very impressive finish um for a team even with that you know week 18 backups playing pretty ugly game overall bad conditions all that so this goes to show how dominant this team was in the first week or 17 weeks of the season, um, and largely because of the quality of competition. You know, that that's a big component in that, you know, in that measure. Um, the Ravens played a lot of good teams this year. They had one of the hardest strength of schedules of anybody in the NFL, um, whether that's just looking at win-loss or also by DVOA. Um, or DeVoe, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I say sure DVOA, but we've had Aaron Schatz on the show before, and he says, he, I say I say DeVoe, but Aaron Schatz says DVOA. Okay, <laughs> he's he's the originator, so his, his yeah. but I, I'll still so, lapse in and out of Devoa. 
All right. Um, well, Devo or GVOA, either way, that it does weight opponent quality. And that's mm -hmm. one of the major reasons why I think it's, it's a very useful statistic to look at. It's very good at pre predicting, um, you know, potential outcomes because it can be very misleading win loss records. And um, the Ravens played extremely well against all qualities of competition. They played some of their best games against the best teams. And, and that is, is definitely a positive thing heading into the playoffs. So through week 18 right now, all that matters remaining is, is conference win probabilities and Super Bowl win probabilities. But the Ravens have, according to the DeVoa playoff odds, an 85.4% chance to make the make a conference appearance, which basically says they have an 85.4% chance to win their first playoff game, yeah. which would make them, by the way, about an 11 or 12-point favorite. So I think that's probably a little high. Con winning the conference, 69.2%. And winning the Super Bowl, 43.5%. They've now moved way out in front of San Francisco in that regard, who's down to 33.3%. Uh, but that the, the Baltimore-San Francisco Super Bowl, the rematch of Super Bowl 47, is now at 45.4% um, of all outcomes, which is incredible to me. Yeah, and I really do think it's because these two teams are kind of the cream of the crop. Um, mm -hmm. I think they're head and shoulders above the rest of the field in terms of both both conferences, you know, the, the Ravens have, they haven't played all of the best teams in the AFC, but they've played a lot of the better teams. They've played a lot of the better teams in the NFC and, and they've yeah. consistently won in, in resounding fashion. Um, and, you know, San Francisco pretty similar um, aside from a few games where they had some health issues, um, you know, the Ravens losses outstanding, not counting week 18, largely games where they fumbled away. I mean, this could have probably been a team that's looking at, potentially perfect season, if not for a few, you know, mistakes in the fourth quarters of the end of games. Um, that, that's how dominant this team was all year long. Um, and it really took kind of those resounding wins against quality competition at the end of the year to kind of get, garner that attention on the national stage. But, you know, I think by the end of the year, everybody was saying, yes, this Ravens team is, is a juggernaut. They're playing exceptionally high level on both sides of the ball. Um, and they need to be considered at that level. Yeah. They, I, 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 I kind of feel like, and you clearly hear it in some of the Lamar Jackson interviews, they'd rather be considered the underdog. And I would too. Let's say I, I, at the, the end of the year, you know, when they're hoisting Lombardi, then it doesn't matter anymore if they're the underdog or not, you know, and it's obviously it won't matter next year because you can't avoid it. If they are the, the, the current champions, even if they lose half the team to free agency as they're set to do, um, they are, you know, they're in it. They're in a position where, um, uh, right now, where it might be better to be the underdog. It might be better to be thought of as the underdog. And it's good, at least, that no one thinks they're going to have a super easy road through the AFC. I mean, there are national pundits who just, you know, hand wave away the rest of the AFC. I don't think the Ravens are doing it right now. I think the Ravens yeah. look at their four possible divisional opponents and they say any one of this could give us trouble. And by the way, what I did is I looked at the upcoming games by the money line. And then I figured out what was the probability um, that's implied by that of each of the teams making being the Ravens divisional opponent. And here's the four. So the, the least likely is Pittsburgh at 20.2%. And that's all based on them winning their game against the, uh, the, against the Bills. So they have a 20.2% chance to win that game. Any, any thoughts about playing Pittsburgh at this point? Well, I think the Ravens would in some ways benefit because they just saw them and the Steelers are trying to win. You know, they weren't taking that game lightly to Steelers. They don't have a very good quarterback. 
Um, it's going to be in Baltimore, and the Ravens are going to want to beat that team that they haven't won against this season. And and they've been strangely very bad against the Steelers in the past yes. couple of years. Um, so I think there's a chip on their shoulder there when it comes to the Steelers. Um, I'm I don't think the Steelers are the best matchup though, and it's largely because they have two really good edge rushers. Exactly, I think that's the biggest weakness <laughs> on the Ravens right now is is the tackle position and the pressure that can come from there. So. It's not the best matchup, but I think the Ravens would would still win that game pretty handily. The ch- the, the the chance of Watt not playing does that change the calculus there? To yeah, I'll take the Steelers over pretty much any of these teams if Watt's out. It, 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 I mean, he's he's their best player, right? Mm-hmm. So any anytime you have that player who is possibly not going to play, and if he does play, he wouldn't be at one hundred percent. I think mm-hmm. that that is a factor. It's still not my favorite potential outcome. If, if the Steelers were to, to win, I, I think there's other teams I'd rather play in that place. We'll take, we'll take a look at the OL play in the, in the second part of the show, but obviously a lot of problems um, at both on both sides. And Alex Highsmith is just freaking rolling yeah. over whoever is lining up opposite him at left tackle. So we're going to have to, Ravens are going to have to hopefully find ways to, to address that, whoever they face. Moving on in terms of of other teams they might face, the most next most likely is Houston. Now Houston is an underdog, and they have to have other things happen. Um, but they but they you know certainly would be the team if the two and three seeds uh, hold up and they hold up as well. But it's only about a twenty one point six percent chance. They're a slight underdog against Cleveland, um, and so twenty one point six percent. I I'm actually a little bit fearful of TJ, of, of CJ Stroud as being one of the best quarterbacks they would be facing again this year. Where do you stand on that? Um, CJ Stroud is a very good quarterback and a very impressive year as a rookie. But to me, this would be my favorite potential divisional round opponent just because he is a rookie on the road in the playoffs. Um, they don't have a great supporting cast. You have, you know, one very good wide receiver, Nico Collins. And aside from that, you don't have a lot that really scares you. Um, their running game is okay. Um, their offensive line is okay. Their defense is a good unit, but not a unit that's like stacked with talent. Um, I, I think it would be the, the probably the most optimal team I would want to play just because they don't have that coaching experience. They don't have that team experience. They're very young. Um, they would be hungry. I think they would definitely, you know, be playing with, you know, nothing to lose, but I, I think that's the opponent that I would, I would like to see um, if, if it came down to it. Yeah. I, I mean, I would agree with you and I'm still, I'm really fearful of who Will Anderson was. I think he really showed up in the first game against the Ravens. And I think that could, that could well happen again. But when you look at what's happened to Houston, how much they've struggled, first of all, some of that without Stroud, but also even when Stroud's been there, you know, just barely getting back by the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, it's a road game, but this this would be a road game too. Um, you know, Jacksonville has not really been that impressive an opponent. Uh, you know, it just they've, they've had a, a lot of trouble, um, particularly in the last seven games, I guess they've won, they've won four out of seven to get in. That's not, you know, dominating their way into the postseason yeah. the way the Ravens have certainly, but, but uh, you know, just a team that's kind of, kind of struggled down the stretch a little bit. And, and uh, I, I would agree with you. I think I probably would want them highest of the four teams with Pittsburgh saying, not knowing whether Watt is in or out Pittsburgh being the, the, the next best, not knowing and the best, if I know Watt is out. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. 
All right, so let's move up. 28.1%. They play Cleveland. Uh, that's a matchup I don't want to see in this round. I want I want Cleveland, like Buffalo, to be somebody else's problem for at least one week. Um, I, I agree with you for the exact same reason that I mentioned with the Steelers. It's it's the two edge rushers, um, and Zardarius Smith, Miles Garrett. I mean, that's a very formidable formidable um, duo. They've given the Ravens massive fits in the in the two games that they played this season. Um, now the Ravens did have some backup tackles in both those games at different points, um, but I, I think even with the starters out there, that's not the optimal matchup. Um, and then. They have other players. The defense is very good. They've been pretty much up there with the Ravens in terms, in a lot of ways, as as the best defense in in the league this year. So they're definitely a team that gives me some pause. They are not um, getting it done as a unit overall anymore. These last uh, you know few weeks, they've given up. It's surprising over twenty one points a game now. Um, they could have a lot of points, even mm-hmm. though I know they're holding teams down in terms of yards and some other statistics, but. Um, that's just, it's not that good a finish to the year, uh, for them. And, and Garrett is absolutely stud-like. I think Okoronkwo has missed some time recently. Who's one of their edge rushers down. At least that's something. And Zadarius Smith has been damn good the whole year. Uh, not, not, not the greatest finisher, but, but he's a, he's provided an awful lot of pressure for that team. Yeah. And I think they have some weaknesses, like you mentioned, you know, they're prone to give up a big play here and there. I think they can be run on. Um, that's how the Ravens have found success against them. Um, that when they've been able to kind of just like run at them and, and use misdirection to kind of to use their aggressive nature against them. And I think, you know, a, a well kind of designed game that keeps on script, the Ravens can, can win, but having those two, two real threats off the edge um, can, can mess up a game plan really quickly. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I, I have some fear of Kansas City in the same way, even though Kansas City has threats across the offensive line. They're not all on the edge. Um, I, I have I have similar, you know, concerns about, about facing them, even though it would be later in the playoffs. Last team, Miami, 30.1 percent, the highest probability that the Ravens will face them. Obviously, they just beat them 56 to 19. But I was talking on the show with Josh Reed about this and is there a team that with their speed, particularly if they found a way to get healthy with Mostert and Waddle, that provides more of an offensive threat to the Ravens? Not not just among the first four. I'm talking about like anywhere in the playoffs. I, I mean, I think San Francisco is still probably a little bit more of a threat offensively just because they have a more rounded, I think, team in general. But I do think that they're similar teams. You know, you know, they come from the same coaching tree. They have a lot of similar concepts and what they do. Um, the speed obviously is scary. Um, yep. You know, Tyreek Hill, if if he's in a matchup where he has single coverage, he can win over the top every single time. And if if Tua is is you know in the pocket with not, without getting pressured, um, he can put the ball pretty much anywhere on the field. Um, the key to Tua is getting pressure in his face, and then he kind of becomes a different quarterback. Um, the Ravens did a very good job when they played of, of getting him uncomfortable. Um, I think that, you know, the Ravens will also hopefully be healthier um, in terms of their defense, uh, especially the secondary in, in a potential match, a rematch. Um, I don't love the idea of, of playing Miami in the divisional round. I think they're a talented team, but um, they're a team that also needs to kind of have things going correctly for them. And if they get off script, if they're having to come from behind, it becomes harder for them. I think the Ravens are are a team that can put them in a bad situation. 
for that to happen, for the Ravens to play Miami in the divisional round, it means Kansas City is out. Okay, and it also means Buffalo won their game and then would face either Cleveland or Houston. So Buffalo, and and I guess, you know, we don't know that Buffalo's either playing Cleveland or Houston, but Buffalo would would have won their game and be playing one of those two. I, I'm... I'm not sure that's not worth the price of admission right there. Meaning, yeah, Miami's a dangerous team. And, you know, Miami can think real hard on the fact that they got their their asses handed to them by 37, you know, just a few weeks ago in week 17. But um, I kind of like the idea of the Chiefs being out, even though it means Buffalo gets a little bit easier game. Because I, I'm just of the opinion, Buffalo and Orchard Park is unlikely to lose during the postseason. I think the Ravens are going to have to get it done when they come here uh, in all likelihood. I think that's probably accurate. Um, I, it's a tough place to play. It, the, the conditions are often pretty ugly this time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a neutralizer. So, um, I mean, if it's if it's them in Kansas City and they've had that game a few times already on, and I think it's mostly been played in Kansas City, I think it's always been played in Kansas City. So, Seeing it in Buffalo might be a different outcome. Um, they're they're playing well right now. Um, Josh Allen is dangerous when he's playing well, and he is volatile as a player. You know he'll turn the ball over. Um, that's kind of what you need if you if you're hoping for the game to go your way. Um, but they're a team that's definitely playing some of their better ball right now. Um, even with some of the mistakes we saw this. Past Sunday against Miami, they were able to overcome them and, and win. Um, I think that, you know, Buffalo is definitely the biggest threat right now in the AFC. Um, so, we'll, I mean, we'll see if we get to that point, but I, I do think that them winning in round one is probably almost like a done. I think it's going to happen. Like, I, I can't imagine Steelers going in there and winning, um, which means, you know, Miami potentially coming to Baltimore is is a probability, but I also don't see my, Miami going into Kansas City and winning. It's also going to be a, a weird condition game. I was looking at the forecast for that one, and there's like a negative wind chill factor for that game. Right. Um, I, I can't see the Dolphins going in there and winning, but you never know. You know, everybody says that, and yet the Chiefs appear so screwed up right now. I mean, so screwed. Right. They have not fixed anything. They won their finale 13 to 12 against the bad Chargers team. I I don't care if they were trying or not. That's not an impressive result in and of itself. So it didn't fix the problem, whatever it was. I mean, it's just, I've been hearing for the last six weeks that ain't no way that the, the chiefs are going to lose again, given that they've got the one seed in hand at this point, you know, and it, it, it was all crap. It all crumbled to dust in front of us. We watched it happen. We watched now the need for Mahomes to go on the road. And I, 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 the, the fact that they're going to go in there, yes, this is a one-game reprieve for Mahomes with the West title to play at home and, and play his last home playoff game that he'll have for a while, at least until the next year. And uh, I just I don't see any reason why they should win this. Actually, that's not true. If Buffalo loses, they can end up at home for a second round, can't they? Yeah, they can. Yeah, they could. Yeah. So so anyway, if if uh, it's 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 certainly a possible. But you know what? The other thing is the line is money weighted. It's not count of idiots weighted. So if the, if there there is smart money believing 
that the Dolphins really only ought to be three and a half or four point underdogs in this game, despite all of the other concerns about weather and everything. And, you know, it, when you look at what they have in, in A-Chan and, and uh, you know, the, the ground weapon they have and, and, uh, and Tua and the, and the various speed elements they have other than A-Chan, um, it's just a, it's a very scary set of players. Uh, and, and it's not like the, the um, Kansas City secondary is right at the top of the league. Even even their best player, Largarius Sneed, has had some ungodly number of penalties this year, like 16, yeah. 17, 18 penalties. Uh, so it's it's <laughs> it's it's a it's a tortured group in terms of of what they have there. And I, I just I don't think they're gonna win this game by weather alone. I think you know somebody's gonna need to step up for them and make some plays. Yeah, I mean the Kansas City offense has been a completely different unit than what we're used to seeing. Um, they just haven't had the playmakers. They haven't had the consistency. I mean, is it because they lost their offensive coordinator? He's been there for years and years. That might have part of it. They've also turned over a lot of their personnel. Travis Kelsey doesn't look like Travis Kelsey. Um, and, and, you know, they're, I mean, I think they're leading the league in drops or close to it. You know, there's a lot of just like issues Mahomes only seems to trust one or two players. So there's a lot of problems going on offensively in Kansas City. I think their their defense is what's kept them in the season, you know, frankly. Yep. Like Absolutely. their defense has played has played well. Um, even though they do have some some gaps here and there, they overall are one of the better units in the league. Um and and they are a very good scheming team. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Very well coached, similar to, to the Ravens with, with Spike Polo there. Um, so I, I do think that that's that would be a potential you know difficult out for for any team um but it's going to have to be a low scoring game for them for them to to really win which is a weird thing to say for a Patrick Mahomes led a team but I, th- I think that's true that is that is a very weird thing to say but yeah you're right and and Mahomes is still will be dangerous in four down football if they if they get behind I mean there's a lot of ways that Mahomes himself can still influence the game in, in, in a lot of ways I just think Miami has an awful lot of weapons and even though they've had trouble beating anybody good this year or even staying with anybody good when you really get down to it. Um, the only team, I guess the Dallas was really the only team they beat that was really any good the whole year, right? They didn't, they didn't beat Buffalo. Um, they beat Miami, but they're not that great. So. <laughs> no, I'm talking about, I'm talking about Miami, Miami. Oh, beat, I thought you meant Kansas city. Yeah. 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 yeah so, that was their only marquee win. Uh, yeah. yeah. Any playoff team, I think that they played, that was the only one they won. Yeah. Yeah, we, we haven't talked about this, but the Ravens set the all-time NFL record this year with 10 wins against teams with a, with a winning record. And not, not just by one game, but they did by two games. No one, has, no one else has ever had more than eight previously. And the three teams that have had eight, I believe, have all done it since the move to a 17-game schedule, which is also really kind of weird. But it's it's understandable that the 17-game schedule kind of forces teams to be either 9-8 and eight or 8-9, eight and nine, where the 8-8 eight and eight teams... Uh, weren't giving you credit towards this total before. So uh, you get a kind of an extra half a team, you know, occasionally that will, that will, that will move up instead of down. 
Um, but anyway, I, I, you know, obviously, that's one of the things the Ravens have going for them is no one can at this point say they haven't played pretty much everyone. The exception in the AFC is Buffalo. Um, but, you know, of the teams in the NFC, I mean, the way Philadelphia got got rolled by by pretty much everybody down the stretch, the way Dallas got rolled by Miami and whatnot. I mean, I, I know this this property of transference does not exist in football outcomes, but just still, I mean, you don't need seven degrees of separation of Kevin Bacon to, to find ways that the Ravens beat other teams, you know, by ABB, BBC, CBD kind of thing. Uh, it's all pretty apparent. Yeah, one of the things that I try to think on is the team that plays its best game. Which one is scariest when they're when they're at, yeah. actually like playing their best? Um, and I think that's the Bills in in the AFC um, because we've seen what they can do early in the season when they were healthier, and the Dolphins are still healthy. They completely destroyed um, them. They they beat the Cowboys very easily um, when. You know they, they beat the Chiefs, and they're they're a team that has some sort of a track record. I know they have some of the worst losses as well, especially for a team that's the number two seed. They had some ugly, ugly games earlier in the season, and a lot of that has been some of it's been random luck, turnovers, you know, one bad play here and there. Um, their point differential is still one of the best in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think all those things uh, we talked about, you know, DVOA earlier. They're also one of the tops in the league in DVOA. Um, that to me is the team that is is the scariest i'm glad they're on the other side of the bracket um you know we won't get to see them until the until the championship game um and right here and maybe somebody will not come out before then we'll see and and to be clear when you say they're the scariest team in the afc i mean the ravens are still by far the scariest oh yes absolutely in terms of every big game yes yeah all right uh, let's let's go on and talk a little bit about the game. And we're going to minimize our talk about the game. We're going to talk, there's elements of the offense that are worth talking about. There's other elements of the offense that are not worth talking about. And we'll, we'll just kind of gloss over. They were outsnapped 62 to 57 in this game. Doesn't matter, but it was nice that both teams were looking to get this game over quickly. That was a, a nice positive factor. Absolutely. I mean, mentioned that earlier, health was the primary best outcome from this game. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, Fewer snaps you play, the higher chance that you get hurt. That's as simple as that, especially yeah. in conditions uh, that are that are suboptimal. So, right, keeping it short, keeping it, um, you know, it's mostly um, pain free is is the best outcome. All right, let's jump ahead and talk a little bit about Tyler Huntley now and the game he had because I think this does have some future meaning in terms of. First of all, is Tyler the right choice to be the quarterback for the, the playoffs? And I think the backup, and I think that's right, he is. But but good, just because the Ravens don't have really other options at this point. But then the more significant question is, what do they do in 2024? Do they do they reset at the position, try and get a, you know a rookie who is going to just start the clock uh, and provide four cheap years, which might make sense? Do they try and get an experienced, you know, Joe Flacco esque backup who they have to pay a few million dollars to, which might make sense, but they probably don't have the money for. Um, or do they um, keep going with Huntley, who honestly probably should make something a lot closer to the vet minimum than what he made this year? I don't think I don't think Huntley be a be a high demand quarterback out on the open market. Yeah, it's it's a little bit tricky uh, with Huntley because I do think he kind of fits, you know, the, the Ravens backup mold well. You know, he's been in the offense, different iterations of the offense for a couple of years now. Um, but he is limited in a lot of ways. Um, I think 
you can potentially find someone in the draft. Um, but is that someone that is ready to come in right away and play? Um, it's, it's hard to say. You know, there was some whispers around Lee Cunningham when the Ravens picked him up that they were planning on giving him, you know, an opportunity to be quarterback for the Ravens, to be Lamar Jackson's backup. Um, you know, he alluded to that himself when, you know, the Ravens came knocking that, you know, the, the, the Patriots kind of saw him as more of like a gadget player, wide receiver, whatever it might be. And they didn't actually see him as a quarterback. Um, the Ravens might have said to him, you know, come here, we'll, we'll evaluate you as a quarterback. Um, and I, th- I think there is a real chance that he is the backup in, in 2024 and beyond for the next couple of years. You have him on a cheap contract. Um, and I think that, you know, the upside there is definitely worth pursuing. Um, I think you have to keep a couple other players in mind just for competition. Um, but re- returning to Tyler Huntley, I-, I don't think he's going to be back to the Ravens. Um, I yep. think he's going to try and find an opportunity somewhere else. I, I agree on that. And, and just to throw a few numbers out there on Huntley, um, Pittsburgh, they rushed five plus on six occasions. That was 19% of the time. He was one for four for minus four net yards on there with two sacks. And this, this is one of the issues with Huntley is if there's any kind of a rush, doesn't really have any pocket awareness. So one guy who's most effective by blindside pressure is Huntley because there's no, there's just doesn't have the same kind of internal clock, uh, doesn't, doesn't like to take off probably in the same way that Lamar does, doesn't process the field as quickly as Lamar. And, and that's, a, that's a, that would be a, a high expectation of him. But he has a lot of trouble, and this really showed up in his ample time and space throws in this game. He had seven opportunities with ample time and space. Not a good percentage, 22%. So it's not like they, the Ravens are doing a great job keeping the pressure off him. But on those seven times he had, he went one of seven for 16 yards. Disastrous. 2.3 yards per, per attempt. 5.0 with, with ball out quick. That's not good either. And 3.5 with pressure. That's actually about right. Uh, there are 15 times they got pressure. They got 47% pressure in this game. Um, Huntley actually ran some offensive linemen out of pressures in this game, which was one of the things that was good about his performance is four times he, he got a pressure uh, and, and, he, and he ran out for positive yards and no sack or he didn't have to throw an incomplete or anything like that. Here's a, here's a big stat for him in this game. Three, 3.32 time to throw, which is one of the highest of the entire season, I, I, probably across the league. I, 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 Lamar had a 3.8 game or something like that. And then he, I think he had one of the second highest, which is in the 3.5 range. So, you know, 3.32 is extremely high. Did not do much with it. Yeah, that, that normally is not a good stat, uh, hanging onto the ball in, in the NFL. There's, there's very few quarterbacks who can actually benefit from, yeah. from that. Lamar Jackson is probably one of the few, maybe a Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, players that can actually extend plays, um, survey the field, be able to actually, you know, make good downfield decisions, you know, on the run, you know, in a muddy pocket, pocket, things like that. Um, generally, you know, and anything over three seconds is, is far too long. So it's, it's not good outcomes. And I think the numbers played out that way. It's, it is, and it is very quarterback dependent, by the way, that, that, that I agree it did work out that way for Huntley. But if you are talking to Lamar Jackson, a, a long pocket time is generally a pretty good thing. It means, yeah. it means extended plays. And the other thing that's often lost in the statistics there is that 
it doesn't necessarily include the quarterback scrambles with it. And then quarterback scrambles with Lamar are going to be, have a much higher average EPA per play than, than what you get out of other court, if Joe Flacco or somebody like that say, you know, so if you're, if you're, if you're taking that anyway, it, very quarterback dependent and, and time to throw is one of those very misleading statistics. The, the guys who fire it out real quickly, it's usually because the pressure is just unbearable on them and they have to, they have it schemed out of their hands or it can be the other terrible side of that coin is that they have terrible pocket awareness and the, and the offensive coordinator is scheming it out of their hands quickly, uh, which was the case of Huntley last couple of years when he's come in and in, um, in relief of Lamar. Yeah. I, I do think that there may have been a little bit better understanding of how Huntley can run an offense when, when Greg Roman was the coordinator, maybe see it, more time with him. He mm-hmm. kind of knew um, what his strengths and weaknesses were. Um, he obviously started a lot of, of games the past two years. Um, and there's kind of like an, a bit of a figuring out, we're, we're going to simplify the offense. We're going to have those ball out quick opportunities. Um, it's going to kind of be a Dinkins up type type thing when, when he's passing the ball, as opposed to trying to do some of the same stuff that Lamar Jackson does. And that's just not possible. Yeah. Uh, a couple of good statistics. No, no, one more bad one. His completion percentage over expectation is minus 11.5. You know, I, I don't know that any of this matters other than to say this gave us another great indication that the Ravens are beyond screwed if anything happens to Lamar Jackson. And they really need to build their game plan around that, particularly with some of the great pass rushes they're going to face in the AFC bracket. They need to figure how to keep people off Lamar Jackson. Um, and I, I don't know what they'll face in the Super Bowl because we don't know who they'll get if if they get that far. But they, how, for however long they're still playing football, this January and February, they're probably going to be facing great pass rushes um, week after week. And it's really important that they that they figure out how to deal with that for Lamar. Um, you know, given what's happening in some of the teams that that uh, that do have good pass rushes. One more Huntley point I, I want to make before we totally let him go on this is one of the plays that really showed up as a, just a terrible play that really was costly. To the Ravens is Marcus golden was at opposite the, the in high Smith spot opposite the left tackle um, for a play a Q4, 14, 18 and Huntley made one of the all time worst reads and just, you know, balls in the mesh. He needed to pull it and run outside. Marcus golden's completely focused on coming down on that running back left side was open Huntley left the ball in there or Gordon, you know, took it away from him. We, we can't always tell exactly how that's how that's happening. Gordon gets taken down for a loss of one. Huntley probably would have had a gain of, you know, five to ten on the left side would, would have been my guess. Um, but anyway, I, 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 I from the reaction after the play, he Huntley kind of slapped his hands together is like, damn it. I left the ball in there. I should have taken it myself kind of thing. Um, it, it, it's it's the kind of play you, you don't see Lamar miss on that because his bias is to keep the ball anyway. <laughs> and he can usually make a play um, and that running back better be be ready to let it go out of the cage. Yeah, you know, over the course of the whole season, there's probably been like maybe two or three times where I said Lamar made the wrong read and it's possible that those might have been just designed to go that way and he didn't actually have a read at all. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one or two of them were, I think on jet sweeps. So I'm not sure he, if he has the same option on some of those, they may be predetermined. Um, but it's, it's definitely not something you see very much from Lamar Jackson. He just, he understands that concept all too well. Um, and he doesn't make those mistakes. Um, he might've, you know, maybe a few times in the past, but he, he's, he's very, very good 
and making the right call when it comes to those types of things. Yeah, completely agree. And that's that's all is baked into that great uh, leverage uh, situation. So w- we did have one fan ask if a uh, reunion with Joe Flacco made sense. Is it, is it for this for 2024? So we're, if we're dissatisfied with Huntley, and and it's not just a matter of dissatisfaction; it's a matter of he's no longer the value he was, um, you know, in in the early years. Um, and you're going to move on. Do you, do you pay four or five million for Flacco, or do you just restart at one million or less than that, even for a rookie or Malik Cunningham, or even Josh Johnson at the vet minimum uh, next year? Um, I, I don't think I'd pay up for a backup quarterback, especially given the Ravens um, cap situation next year and the inability to probably sign a lot of guys they'd like to sign. Um, I wouldn't put backup quarterback as one of those premium kind of positions where I'm paying a decent chunk of change. Um, and honestly, I think that would kind of be weird too, just, just to be totally honest. I don't know if Joe Flacco would want to come back here like that. Um, he might, who knows? I don't, it, I don't think he has bad memories necessarily of his time in Baltimore. Obviously, it was a very good good run for a good stretch of it. Um, probably soured a little bit down the stretch, but um, you know there's a lot of blame to be laid around for that. Um, and I'm not sure if this kind of stretch of Flacco play is really that. You know, is it is it really going to last? Is it is it something that can be consistent? Um, he, he still seems like someone who's willing to put the ball at risk at a high percentage of his throws. Um, and he's gotten away with a lot of it. He hasn't gotten away with it all the time. He's thrown a lot of interceptions as well as mm-hmm. you know, throwing for a lot of yardage. Um, and his receivers have failed him out quite a bit. So, um, I, I mean, I think you can do worse than Joe Flacco as a quarter backup quarterback, but I don't think it really makes sense financially if he's looking to get a, a decent backup salary. Yeah, I, I'm in the same spot. And I think there are other, you know, non big Baltimore names that could be had for probably less money that would just make more sense as backup quarterbacks that 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 uh, would be possibilities. But I think the big payoff, and this is where you mine for gold, is the Ravens figure out somebody they really like, they think they can work with and get ready in two years. They have no immediate need at a top of the first round kind of quarterback. Find your guy in the fourth or fifth round if you want to draft a or sixth round if you want to draft a backup quarterback. You got time to wait. And uh, and if even if it means Josh Johnson is your number two quarterback next year, I don't even I don't even hate that in terms of particularly in terms of value relative to cap. Yeah, Josh Johnson is serviceable. Um, yeah, he's he's not he's not going to be someone who wins games for you, but I, th- I think in some ways he offers more than than Huntley does position. All right, well, let's keep going. Um, we talked a little bit about the time in the backfield already. I don't know if there's much more to say other than playing time and the relative amount that the running backs really played too much. Hill and Gus played 50 snaps between them. Uh, the Ravens cannot afford to lose either one of those guys for the playoffs. But in particular, at, at this point, I'd say Hill is the guy they cannot live without. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. He has a different dimension to what they can do in terms of some explosive plays out of the backfield as a pass catcher and as a runner. Um, but in addition to that, he's by far their best pass protector um, in terms of, you know, his ability to block. He's just brought his game up in another level in that area this year. He's been very good. Um, and, and he's, I think, a critical piece to them moving forward in this in this playoffs. Used as a pass blocker nine times in this game. And this is a game where they really needed him as a pass catcher, even though he didn't 
he, the, all the throws to him, even though short were off target pretty much. And, and he did finally catch a ball and make a play with it. But um, he, he had uh, uh, four set blocks and five chip blocks in this game. So you're, you're disadvantaging one of your biggest re- re- receiving weapons on nine plays. Um, that's a pretty big deal. And, and they had to do it because of some of what was going on. He actually picked up a blitz single on one of those set blocks. Other times he was just helping and, and, and uh, uh, on the edge, helping either Falele or helping McCary or Stanley or whoever it was. But uh, he, he did a very good job. And, he's, and, and this, that's been a, I completely agree. That's been a big improvement in his game this year. Do the same yeah. thing with Isaac. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, I, I think he, he adds that as threat ability too, though. I mean, he can be someone who, who looks to pick up somebody and, and leak out and be, you know, a 10 to 15 yard pickup uh, very easily. I mean, we saw him make a very key conversion in, in the Dolphins game. Um, mm-hmm. Was it fourth and seven or third and 17? Um, yeah, and third, he, third and 16, and it was a short pass. He got it made all like three guys miss. Yeah. yeah, like, I mean, he can do that. He, we've seen that from him many times. He He's fast, he's explosive, he can make a man miss. Um, and I think, especially with Keaton Mitchell out, you need to have that threat in, in the running game as well. Not only do you need to have it in the running game, I want it in the gadget game because of what they, what it means they can do with Flowers. They can free him to go for the downfield. Flowers has been a much more dangerous weapon the last couple of games that he's played because they've been able to let him get down the field and, and make some plays. And and that's been so sorely missing from this offense. Uh, you know, Marquise Brown, um, Lamar had a had a guy he at least trusted to go get the football. And sometimes it worked out and sometimes it didn't. Sometimes he dropped the ball, sometimes he overthrew him. Sometimes even Marquise wasn't open, but but they had a they had a connection that they could they could get to him deep. Um and I just that's it, it was significantly missing in terms of, of being able to draw away safety attention in the way it should to have somebody like Flowers on the outside. Um, let's see, what else we want to talk about? I think we talked about being a little pissed off about, about the Mason activation because yeah. he only played one offensive snap. Ricard only played 12 offensive snaps. And this was a game, boy, it seemed like Ricard ought to have been in there a lot. You want to you get the running game going and you want to help your tackles out. Yeah, it seemed like an odd um, decision. Either play Mason because you want to have your, you know, your, your player who's not really that valuable to the playoff, you know, team, you know, he's, he's not your body. He you can use in, in blocking and whether it's run blocking or pass blocking, whatever it may be. Um, not, not activating him, bringing him up and not using him is, is really surprising, especially when you have players who do have a lot of value who are taking significant snaps. It just, that thing add up to me. Yeah. It, it didn't make sense to me either. Um, in terms of the receivers, we saw some backups get a chance. Aguilar, 57 snaps. Treadwell, 43 snaps. Bateman, 27 snaps, which is, to, to me, another guy who I'd I'd rather well, – he's had a fair number of injuries in his time yeah. with the Ravens. I really – on this field, with route running be a big thing for him, you know he's going to be sticking his foot in hard a number of times. Just not crazy about that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I thought maybe you'll see him for a series or two and say, okay, that's, that's enough. He's he, – means too much They're they obviously weren't trying to push the ball downfield anyway like mm-hmm. it's not something it wasn't part of the game plan they weren't looking to to really take advantage of some of the weaknesses in, this, in the Steelers defense why do you have them out there risking injury it just yeah, it didn't make sense yeah Aguilar gets a Maryland 
horse racing state. I'll have to explain what this means, which means the payoff is going to be limited. But a star in the program means you're a mutter. Aguilar gets a star in the in the game book in this case because he really played well in the in a, under very sloppy conditions. You know, Treadwell was there. He made a nice catch and held on uh, one ball, but he also didn't didn't hold on to another ball and only yeah. caught one of three that was was headed his way. Wallace, I think, had one reception in the game. I'm trying to remember it, but uh, um, it 24 snaps for him. And I, I would have I'd been perfectly happy if he'd had 40. And then let's see, that would have meant Bateman got 11. Say their 51 were split 40 and 11 instead of 27, 24 Bateman. Yeah, and honestly, I could have. I wouldn't mind seeing less snaps for Aguilar. I mean, I know potentially they were trying to see if they could get him to his his bonus. That might have been part of the equation of having him out. Oh, there didn't know so that. Much. Hmm. Yeah, I think there was a like a if he got like sixty yards or something like that, he would have had a two hundred fifty thousand dollar you know incentive bonus kick in. He fell a little short of that, so I'm, I'm not sure if they if they tried to like get him the ball because of that. Um, you know, it could have been Treadwell and Wallace out there and run with um, Kolar and, and and you know, maybe have Likely and, and Mason you know, rotating as, as that other kind of player. And I would have been totally fine with it. You know, the players that have actually contributed that are rotational guys in, in your offense, I don't want to see them out there very much. We did not see any jumbo or unbalanced line in this game. Monken uh, had been using it four, five, six times a game. Now, he hasn't the last two weeks now. Uh, so it, it's a little surprising, maybe. Uh, I don't know if the four-week advanced scouting rule really holds for the playoffs. I don't know if teams really will look at more film if they can. But when we think about it, the team that's playing the Ravens doesn't know they're playing the Ravens yet, unless it's the Pittsburgh Steelers who know them pretty damn well to start with. But the Browns, they don't know for sure that they're playing the Ravens, even if they win. They they got to be concerned mm-hmm. about the, the, the you know tape from a lot of different teams. So they may or may not have the throughput to really look at tons of of uh, film about this. But unbalanced line is something that that if I guess if they wanted more of it, they could have uh, uh, they could have done more of it. It just seemed like on a, on a wet day like this, there might have been a might have been a good opportunity for it. Yeah, I think especially jumbo sets. You know, I mean. I think that would have made a lot of sense in a game where you want to kind of run the ball and, and turn out clock and be able to pick some first, pick up some first downs. Um, I was surprised they didn't go to that more often. Um, so, you know, maybe they just didn't want to risk having an offensive lineman out there who get hurt. I, I don't know what the, what the thought process was. Yeah. They, uh, we'll talk about the offensive line in the second half. Uh, last thing I'll mention in this, and then we'll, we'll let this go is that both Monken and, uh, McDonald reportedly have had interview requests made of the Ravens for head coaching jobs and Weaver as well, for that matter. Yep. Uh, very interesting. And Washington, Weaver going to Washington, I would be very excited for Anthony Weaver and very excited for the Ravens getting the third round draft picks. But I'd be really excited about uh, about Weaver getting that kind of an opportunity. He deserves it. He's a great leader of men. If you've ever seen him at the podium, very smart. Um, uh, he's, he, you know, I've talked about this ad infinitum on this show about my respect for Anthony Weaver. And I, I certainly hope he gets a head coaching job, um, uh, soon. And I think the Ravens probably have other people who can, they can bring in for the defensive line. This has got to be one of the really top defensive line jobs in the league. And he's done a great job with it in terms of, of, uh, uh, you know, keeping these five guys healthy. That probably has something to do with Weaver's influence, um, I, I can't imagine that, you know, you have older veterans like Pierce and Urban who've been around and 
and uh, a mix of other guys who are, who, are, who are coming up and coming into career years that, that, that Weaver doesn't have a significant hand in that, along with people like Chuck Smith, who've, who've helped improve the, the pass rush. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised when I saw his name, you know, pop up as someone who was getting co- coaching interviews just because, you know, he's been coaching for a few years, but he hasn't been in like in a coordinator position, which generally is kind of where you find that next mm-hmm. head group of head coaches. Um, you know, my initial thought would be if Mike McDonald goes somewhere else, which seems, you know, yeah, like there's a high potential chance of that happen. Anthony Weaver might be the next person to step up in the Ravens defensive coordinator position. Um, but to see him potentially move on as well, you know, that lose two people and, you know, now that Monken is interviewing, you know, we could potentially see a situation where you, several coaches move on, which would, which would yeah. be difficult. You know, we saw that happen in Philadelphia this year where they lost both their coordinators um, and, and they lost some talent as well, but um, it, it really does impact, I think, the ability of, of a, a team to kind of keep the continuity, keep some of the, you know, the same energy in, in the building. Um, so, I mean, I want the Ravens coaches to get their, their accolades and their opportunities elsewhere. But, you know, from a selfish perspective, I don't see them staying as Ravens coaches. Yeah, of course. Always a pleasure to talk football with you, Gabe. Tell, folk, tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Yeah, um, love talk about the Ravens and NFL, college football. Um, at Gabe Fergie on Twitter. On Twitter, um, you know, college football season is officially over now. Um, draft season approaches. That means um, so I'm probably going to be diving into that a little bit. Love looking at some of the prospects. So if you're into, into that as well, you know feel free to reach out and have a conversation about some of the more interesting guys who are out there, potential future Ravens. All right. Very cool. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. Always DMs are always open on Twitter. I'm looking for anything you might like to talk about that you're passionate about going into the playoffs. Great opportunity. This week is open. Had some more people approach it with ideas and we've got a couple of shows more scheduled. So I want to hear more from you. Uh, this is how I also meet people for potentially other shows during the off season and other series as they come up, like looking at two players ahead for the for the uh, future season. So if that's something you want to get into, just being on a you know a couple shows during the off season, love to hear from you for that reason too. Gabe, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.